0: This is the Drummers Resource Podcast, session 245. And the quote of the day is The function of music is to release us from the tyranny of conscious thought. You're listening to the Drummers Resource Podcast, home of in depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Rafini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource podcast. I hope everybody's doing well, and I hope you dug the the recap of the best interviews of 2016. If you haven't checked it out already, you can check it out at drummersresource.com forward slash 241. I pulled nuggets out from each one of those interviews and condensed them into one podcast, so it just pulled out audio snippets from all of them, so there's it's packed with information in there, and if you haven't already, check it out drummersresource.com forward slash session two, four, one. And huge thanks to Justin Thomas for putting that whole thing together and, you know, making it sound great because that's what he does. And uh, this podcast would not be happening. and would definitely not be sounding as good as it does without Justin's hard hard work, excuse me. So, Justin, thanks, brother. Love you. Appreciate it. Hey, listen, if you're looking for a great pro shop that can give you some really customized service, check out drumsetc.com. These guys are a pro shop owned by a drummer, ran by drummers, and they are one of the best drum shops I've ever been to, and I've been dealing with them since college. So you can learn more about them at drumsecetera, drumsetc.com. You can also give them a call at one 800 922 drum and not only do they sell most of the products that you hear advertised on the podcast, but they also give you really great service. And you can call there, you can talk to them, and the person who answers the phone is going to be the person who walks you through your order, who packs packs your box for you. And if you have any issues with your order, they're the person that you can deal with as well. So it's a pro shop for drummers, by drummers, and check them out, please, at drums drumsetc.com. Et I promise you will not regret it. Now, let's get into this interview. This is with Nate Smith. For the, I, I don't know how many of you don't know who Nate is, but I've been following Nate for a long time, and it actually took about five years to make this interview happen. And I realized the first time I emailed him was about five years ago. But just I'm just a huge fan of his playing. I think he has musicality. I think he has chops. I think he has a fresh sound and have always just been a fan of his playing ever since I found him. And I know that a lot of people out there are as well. So it's an absolute pleasure to have him. And we get into all sorts of things about musicality, about practice, about serving the song, uh, about getting out of other people's way and, and letting the music sort of dictate what you do and what you play. So ton of great information here from Nate. And again, just happy to have him on the show. So let's get into it with the one and only Nate Smith. Nate, what's going on, man? Thank you for doing this. Hey, Nick,
1: good to be with you, man.
0: This has been a long time coming.
1: It has. <laughs> it I'm, uh, has. I'm pinching it's been an myself. Epic journey, yeah, man.
0: <laughs> and you know, it's it's sort of a testament to, I don't know, maybe it's a life lesson there that, like, I told you the first time I ever emailed you was five years ago. That's right. And and then from then, like, I started the podcast, and I've been, you know, trying to get you on schedules, don't line up, and things. But yeah. you know, once in a while, I think that people look at. That if it doesn't happen immediately, then they just right. stop, and it's like Big man, time.
1: yeah, things, yeah, sometimes things take time, I'll tell you, I'll you tell know? you, I mean, there's a there's a life lesson in there, man, you yeah. know, it's like uh if at first, if at first, you don't succeed, right, you know, just keep not succeeding, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you. Know yeah. what I mean? or
0: in my world, I'm like, just keep, keep bugging and emailing it. It'll happen. It'll happen.
1: It'll happen, man. It'll happen. But I I appreciate your persistence, man. Thank you. Of course,
0: man. It's been, uh, I've been following your journey for a long time. I like I told you, I first found you, uh, just playing with Chris Potter and Mm. was completely blown away by your playing. And we're going to get into all that, just like the feel and we're, we're going to get into that. Cool. And I'm going to fanboy a little bit on that. Um,
1: okay. But before,
0: okay. before we do that, let's get a little bit of backstory. i like to build a little bit of context for the audience. Okay. Uh, I know you're an East Coast dude. You're, what, from Virginia, right?
1: From Virginia, Chesapeake, Virginia. Okay.
0: Yeah. So where is that?
1: That is the southeastern part of the state. It's about um, maybe 20 miles inland from Virginia Beach. I got the coast. it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about sort of just – how you got into playing a little bit of your backstory and then we can kind of fast forward up to a little bit more current.
1: Sure. Sure. I started, man. um, You know, I I was born in uh, the mid seventies, grew up in a house with, uh, you know, my parents were both school teachers. I had three siblings and I'm the youngest and I came along. There's a big gap between me and my brother. So it was like a 10 year gap. So I, I kind of was born on this Island in, in time in my family, um, but you know, my dad always had records in the house. He was a big record guy. He he loved um, especially R- instrumental R and B stuff from the late seventies. He was way into David Sanborn, Bob James, Grover Washington, Jazz Crusaders, and so I'm listening to that music and I'm absorbing it at a very young age. And I'm listening to those, particularly I didn't even know I was, but I was starting to pick apart what the drummers were playing on those records, you
0: know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and
1: started to get inside some of that, um, some of that language. Um, And my brother who was 10 years older than me, he uh, had a drum set. He was in marching band in school and he played a little bit at home and I used to watch him play. And I used to kind of like, you know, just kind of pick apart what he was doing too. Like, I'm like, okay, so this is how that works. And okay, that Oh, I see his 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 hands are doing one thing, his feet are doing another thing. I'm like picking it apart, trying to figure out how to mimic and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, my first you know experience with music actually was my mom bought a piano, and uh, made all the kids take lessons. So I started taking lessons in the fifth grade. I absolutely hated it. I hated piano <laughs> lessons. Me too. I hate, oh man, <laughs> I really hated it. So I took it for, I took piano for a year and I kind of learned sort of the basics. Um, and then I started to play the drums. I, when I went to sixth grade, I think it was fifth or sixth grade, I started to play drums in the school band. And I got my little, you know, Ludwig AcroLite and I, you know, set it up. And right. was playing, you know, playing my little exercise, learning my rudiments, learning to read basic note value, stuff like that. And a year later, I decided, man, I really want to take a, a shot at playing drum set because it looked really fun, you know. And so I broke out my, my my brother's old kit, set it up, and just started to bash away. That was sort of the very beginning of it. And it was mostly, you know, I learned mostly by listening and watching. It was all sort of by rote. You know, I, I, I listened to records. I put them on my Walkman. I take them downstairs to the garage and, I, you know, sit down behind the drums and play along with, the records that i was listening to right know? right and that's that i learned a lot um you know mimicry was kind of my way in i learned a lot by just mimicking what i heard
0: you know we talk about that a lot too that yeah and i think it's such an underrated thing yeah, absolutely to just play along with records and yeah. play along with records and play along mm-hmm. with records you know mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like because especially if you're playing along with a lot of older records there's yeah. not a click no, nope. you know it's not quantized. So like, nope. there's that there's that natural sort of fluidity yeah. in that, and sometimes the song speeds up a little bit. And sometimes, absolutely, you know, so you kind of get like that ebb and flow. But yeah. but that feel is yeah. is there, and you have to sort of learn. You know, you start learning all these nuances of the tunes.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, I've I've always been interested in music in real time, like like music with people. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I th- I think it's interesting that we you know, with, with, you know, how, how things work now, the way we make records is is so different now than it was. Um, but you know, if you're really thinking about like, you know, what it means to play in a band or with other people, that means that you're constantly negotiating time. You're constantly negotiating where the beat is. People might hear it one way, you might hear it another. So you're constantly negotiating that, but that's something that, you know, even as a young kid, I'm listening to, you know, Omar Hakim play on Sting's record or I'm listening to, you know, Steve Gadd play on a Bob James record or whatever. And I'm listening to the way these guys are playing are using space, you know, of course I didn't mm-hmm. realize it then, but sure. that's, that's exactly what I was listening to. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, without a click track, without a, you know, there's just a human element a feel thing. That's just there that is not, you know, it's not that it's absent from, from music that is played with click or, or on the grid or whatever, but it's just, I think harder to replicate that um, when you're kind of really sticking to a grid, you
0: know? Right. And you sort of had the, <laughs> the best of both worlds of learning sort of the rudimental side with being mm-hmm. in band mm-hmm. and then playing along with records.
1: Yeah. Because
0: yeah. I, and I, and I don't want to generalize and say everybody, but I think that a lot of times it happens where people will push one way or the other.
1: Right. Right. So they'll, mm-hmm.
0: You know, like there'll be, they can groove, but they don't have any, they don't have any chops or like it mm-hmm. would be really chop heavy, but they don't have any groove.
1: That's true. And and I think, man, one of the things that was really important for me as a teenager was marching band. Mm-hmm. Marching band was really important. I was a serious drum core nerd. I watched all the DCI competitions. Right. Right. I was way into it. I was transcribing stuff, you know, it's like I was, I was way in there. And, and I also, it taught me a lot about reading my chops. My reading chops got so much better from playing in marching band. Right. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, you start to, to kind of build a vocabulary, um, and you start to sort of apply some of that science to the drum kit. You take it from the snare drum or wherever you're marching. I marched actually multi-toms in, in, uh, high school Okay. and I I marched snare in college for, for my freshman year, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I was kind of taking some of that applied science and moving it to the, to the drum set, you know, to play, moving some of those, sextuplets and 30 seconds to the drum set, you know, so I could kind of play some of that fun stuff on the kit. But I was always still kind of obsessed with groove. I was always obsessed with like the feel, even the stuff that I was into as a teenager that was happening at the time, like Prince and Living Color and like, you know, um, Peter Gabriel and all that stuff. All the the drummers who played on those records had amazing feels, Mm -hmm. I, I think. And so I was always obsessed with that. I was really obsessed with it.
0: What was what was the approach of taking, taking the stuff that you were learning in marching band and taking all of this, let's for lack of a better word, all this technical stuff, mm-hmm. and getting it to sound musical on the kick. yeah because yeah. You know, there's a yeah. disconnect there a lot of times.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that I uh, have often you know, it's interesting. I find myself doing it more and more now. I think I did it a lot more when I was a kid and wasn't aware, but, um, I have a tendency to vocalize when I play. Um, and, um, uh, you you when, when I, when I play, man, I find myself like, uh, you know, singing the parts or, or my mouth is moving while I play, or I'm, I'm actually kind of sort of getting into like, uh, kind of a a vocalization of the drum part. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in the same way that, that, you know, a a hip hop producer might beatbox what he's going to program on a, on an MPC. I find myself doing the same thing. And, you know, sometimes you see a lot of jazz musicians, a lot of pianists or um, guitarists who you see their, you see their mouths moving while they play.
0: Right. Jimmy Smith Uh, used to do that all the time. Jimmy Smith does a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and I think that there's something, um, there's a very kind of primal connection between, um, the voice and, uh, the, the, the drum. And this is, this is, you know, getting to this idea of taking chops or taking, you know, um, marching band stuff that's kind of written sort of densely finding a way to, to, to sing it, you know, like when I would, I would read the the music and I'd read the figures and I would sing the parts, you know, before I Mm -hmm. played them. Um, and then when I sat down to, the drum set, there was kind of a melodic thing I could apply. So, you know, you're like playing a sextuplet and you're breaking it up over the snare drum to the toms to the floor tom to the kick. There's a melody there. It goes from high to low. You know. Mm-hmm. So when I would play some of those those uh, parts and kind of speak that drum ease that we all speak, you know, black into black, you know that right. that stuff. I, I found myself, you know, th- there's a melody there that I could kind of use to make it musical. You know. Mm. Um, I feel like if you are just thinking of it in terms of, of, of note values and sounds, that's one thing. But if you're thinking about it melodically, that's another thing, you know. Right. Um, and so if you listen to some of, you know, like really, really great drum soloists, people like uh, Max Roach or people like, um, you know, Buddy Rich, I think, was a great soloist. Um, you know, and and people like Jack DeJohnette, who's you know a, a beautiful soloist. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's always something melodic in the way they play. Tony Williams played melodically, you know. Right. So I just I feel like that that is a a thing that I come back to a lot when I play now. And I don't I don't know if it's you know um, I don't I don't know where it really started for me, but I always was attracted to this idea of. Rhythmic melodies this idea of like turning the different pitches of the drum kit into like a melodic um, Into a melodic phrase
0: sure it yeah. sort of reminds me it reminds me of when I f- Not because I played piano and all that. Okay, uh, I played piano for like nine years okay. And so if you need okay. anybody to play Mary had a little lamb now, okay, I can, I, <laughs> I can do it um, okay. but when I started playing drums, I could still read the rhythm Right. But I guess there was this there was this thing that I didn't understand or that I didn't I, I didn't know that I wasn't doing it but actually hearing the entire note value. Right. Like if you take a quarter note on the drums like whether you're playing a quarter note or an eighth note or a 16th note if you hit it on a sim, like a hi-hat on a closed hi-hat Right. They right. all sound the same.
1: Exactly. You know? Exactly. And
0: I think yeah. and from what I'm I'm getting from what you're saying is that you're you were taking this stuff that was all you know that was all boxed in in this mm-hmm. you know in the in the marching world mm-hmm. and really taking this stuff and hearing it melodically and actually hearing those note values and sort of uh, respecting those note values and elongating what you're playing right
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sorry man i'm I'm. <laughs> there's a dog in here my girlfriend's <laughs> dog and he's got a chew toy and it's all good he's like that's that's a little squeaking that you're that's hearing. the
0: beauty of the drummer's yeah. resource podcast we yeah, don't cut, we don't cut anything out man okay so that's, beautiful that's like, and
1: he's really following me around man he's like play with me yeah and of course so i'm gonna have to like uh, i'm gonna have to ditch him a little bit <laughs> yeah okay he's in there
0: once in a while you'll hear like my my, my cat my studio cat Okay. <laughs> meowing once in a while in okay. some of the episodes. So it's okay. all, we're pet okay. friendly here too.
1: Okay, cool, cool, <laughs> cool. Um, but it, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think, and also, man, you know, this is another thing that I learned um, early on is touch and dynamics can create a difference in tone between, you know, from, you know, like no matter what you're playing, you're playing successive 16th notes. So a 16th note pattern on the hi-hat, you're playing, you know, you're playing a dense, uh, dense rhythmic material around the drum kit you know if depending on how you're playing your, your touch determines sort of the melodic content sort of the emphasis you know what i mean and it kind mm-hmm. of changes the feel too you know so if you're playing with um with that in mind if you're playing sort of dynamically um then you, you kind of do create a, a sort of melodic shape um on the drum kit you know and i and, right. I, and i've I think that that was sort of a very early lesson I learned. I think I learned it from watching and listening to drummers like Omar and Steve Gadd. And I mean, you know, even Bernard Purdy, I think, is a very melodic drummer. His, mm-hmm. his grooves are so melodic, like you want to sing the parts when you hear him play. Right. You know, right. So I, I think that there is that. But also, you know, when you're talking about technical, like you're talking about playing licks and talking playing like solos and playing a lot of chops. Yeah, there are drummers who are really good at that. And there are drummers who, you know, I think Vinnie Colaiuta is great at that. Like, sure. he plays a lot of chops, but it's always very melodic. The stuff he plays is like, wow, you know, he's, mm. he's really playing some great ideas, right. singable ideas, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, man, I think that there is uh, a way um, to, 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 bring, to make the chop stuff musical. And, and, and it's something that you strive for as a drummer to play musically in every context.
0: Right, right. So what does what's a a normal practice routine look like for you or what did it look like? Because I think now I'm guessing Mm -hmm. in where you are in your career, your practice routine is a lot different, maybe not as regimented as it used to be. I think there's and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that everyone goes through everyone goes through that time where they practice six to eight hours a day, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like however long it lasts. It's whatever, two, three, four years. Right. And then now you're sort of in like growth slash maintenance mode Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right yeah absolutely but back in the day i want to boil down and the reason why i want to boil down the essence of your playing is that and we usually don't get super technical but the but for you it's really important to me because one every time i see you play or the well let me say the first time i saw you play it's like first thing man this guy grooves his ass off and then you soloed and and i was blown away i was like oh okay he has a lot of facility too mm, mm. and anytime there's a video of you online or anything it's like every comment is feel groove right, groove right. man that feels so good it, like right. so let's right. i want to boil that down because i want to okay. help to extract some of that out mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. of what you're doing and then mm-hmm. i'm going to cop it all and i'm going to go in the practice room and okay steal all your, <laughs> no i'm just kidding right. but like man it, you know like every time i watch you play i'm like man that's i like that's how i want to play you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you, you seem to have it all,
1: man. That's a that's a huge compliment from you. Thank you, and very I much. mean that
0: sincerely. I'm not just but, telling you that.
1: So. I, I thank you, man. I I you know for me, yeah. I did go through a phase where I was playing four, six, you know, hours a day. Um, high school, college, you know, I was like in the practice room all the time, and I was recording myself playing. Which you know, I would have my little boombox at home, and then. I evolved to the micro cassette recorder with the mic on it. And, you know, it's interesting, man, when you play and you're in it, it might sound one way. But when you listen back, you can really hear there's really nowhere to hide when you're listening back to yourself playing. Right. You know, and from the very beginning of my journey, I recorded myself playing a lot. You know, I really did. And I would listen back and I would say, man, I would want to like try to cop because everything was first of all, let me let me just talk a little bit about um, what practice means to me. Okay, because practice for me, really practice was about uh, creativity. That was Mm -hmm. really what practice was. I wanted to like execute something I couldn't do. So I would listen I'd watch I'd watch videos of Billy Cobham, I'd watch Billy, videos of Buddy Rich, I'd watch videos of, of whoever and I would try to like execute stuff they couldn't do. How is it that he's getting those such clean singles? How is it that he's he's playing those doubles on the bass drum? How is he getting such a sound out of the snare drum, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would just really concentrate on that. So my practice regimen was about okay, I'd watch and listen and absorb as much as I could. And then I'd go to the drum set inspired and I'd really try to cop and mimic what I heard. So it, for instance, if I'm, if I'm watching like a Buddy Rich drum solo, my, my, my dad bought me this VHS of the Buddy Rich big band. I think it was some somewhere in the eighties. I think he recorded this. Uh, It was near the end of his life. And it was, you know, this huge Epic, like drum solo at the end of the thing, and I'm Mm -hmm. watching it and I could, you know, I never transcribed it formally, but I just watched it and, and tried to gather as much as I could. The great thing about those videos was There was so much, you could see so much of what his, what his hands were doing. You could see so much about, of his technique, you know, right and you could really say, man, okay, so he's playing, he's playing all these singles sort of effortlessly. What is it about, what is it about his hands that, that allows him to do that? First of all, he's Buddy Rich. That's the first (laughs) thing, right? So there, there's that, but then there's like, okay, so. How is he holding the sticks when I'm checking out the rebound? What is he doing with his fingers underneath the sticks? How is he getting that? And I noticed that there were some things that he was doing that I was also seeing the guys in the drum corps videos do some t- certain technical things that were allowing them to achieve those chops. You know, mm-hmm. they wanted to achieve like the speed and the articulation of those chops. So I would, you know, watch those videos over and over. We had slow motion on the VCR so I could slow it down. I'm like, man. Okay, I see what I see. The technique here. So then I'd run to the drums, and I turn on my little boombox and I record it. And I would really try to cop what I heard Buddy do. It was it was always inspired by something musical, some kind of musical event. Right. That was the first thing. I never just practiced for practicing sake. I never did that. It was always connected to trying to achieve a musical idea. Ah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because sure. I I know a lot of drummers who are really good at practicing. You know what I mean? Like, I I know like guys who really they're masters at practicing, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes time to play in live situations with other musicians and really have those sort of tough negotiations around time and all the X factors that occur while you're playing live. um, Some of the things that they're practicing, some of the things that they've sort of uh, firmed up in their practice regimen don't really work because you have to be able to adjust that. Right, It has to be about, you know, okay, you have to be using that practice regimen to get better at playing with people, right. you know. You know, it's um, funny
0: that – I, I apologize no. for cutting you off. No, no, no. I'm famous for doing that, by the way. But <laughs> I had a conversation with my buddy Daniel Glass uh, mm-hmm. when we were at NAMM, and I was saying – so basically when I started Drummer's Resource, I consciously was like, all right, I'm not going to tour. I'm not going right. to really, like, hustle for gigs. I'm just going to really work on growing this and then right. get back to playing. Right. And I noticed that my practice routine, I started practicing less and less mm-hmm. and less and less. And I couldn't mm-hmm. figure out why I wasn't enjoying practicing. Right. And then I was like, because I'm not going onto the bandstand and using that as a proving ground. Exactly. Exactly. And for me, I'm the same way as you, that I practice because I want to play music, not because mm-hmm. I want to learn how to play singles between my hands and my feet. Exactly. So Exactly once yeah. that proving ground started to go away, my excitement and my want to keep practicing started to dwindle. Right. Which is an interesting concept for you to say that, that really yeah. like solidifies, I guess, that maybe I'm not the only one who thinks that way.
1: Oh, not, not at all, man. Not at all. I mean, I think we are all in it to make music. And I think that's, that's a go- I think we should be at least. Right. Um, you know, I think that, you know, as you grow as a musician and as you're playing more, um, I think, you know, and also, man, mean, I, I just, just as, a, as an aside, and I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want the lightning to rain down on me. I don't want to cause a big, huge controversy, but I do think that you're learning. I don't, I wouldn't call it practice, but I do think that you're learning on the bandstand too. You're going to play stuff on the bandstand and try things on the bandstand that may or may not work. Right. And you're going to learn from that. You know, in the same way that you would learn from trying things that may or may not work in the practice room. Mm-hmm. The difference is you're learning them in real time with an audience and with uh, a group of musicians, you know. So it, the, the learning experience is a shared one rather than one that occurs in isolation, you know. And I think that those shared learning experiences are, I think, a little bit more impactful if you're a, a musician who is actually growing you know, as a player. Right. Um, that, that's the thing. I think that, you know, like I said, man, I know tons of guys, man, who are really, really good at, at shedding like they, they shed all the time. But then it's like, OK, you get to a gig and you play with people. And for whatever reason, it's not connecting with the other musicians. It's not landing on the audience. And you think to yourself, OK, well, maybe it's because the intention is about acquiring knowledge as opposed to sharing music, you know what I mean? Right. So you want to acquire all this knowledge about how to play the drums and how to get better at playing the drums and how to play, you know, more clean and how to play, um, you know, faster and, you know, all this other sort of stuff. But it's like applying that science in real time with real people is a totally different thing. It's sure. totally different. Sure. You know, and, and, and I think that it, it's the most inspiring aspect of it for me is applying that science right. with people. And that's where I really learned the most, you know, and that's what makes me want to go back. Oh, you know what? I really need to go and work on, I really need to work on relaxing when I play time. Now, you know, one of the things I focus on now when I practice is relaxing because I have seen so many videos of myself and watched so many and heard so many recordings of myself. And I I see there's certain tension in the way that I play. There's Mm. a certain, I, I feel much more relaxed now than I was maybe say, Five or ten years ago, but do you feel like
0: you're tensing up, or you feel like you're pushing?
1: I feel like I'm tensing up, and which okay. which which leads to pushing if I'm right. not careful. Sure, you know the tension is what is what is the thing I'm trying to avoid. So the anxiety around what I'm playing does it work? Does, so there's there's a relaxed confidence that I'm starting to feel more and more as a drummer that allows me to sort of really just lay back and say, okay, you know what, these events that are going to come, I don't have to force these events. I'm just going to play and I'm just going to have fun. I'm just going to enjoy the sound of the drum. I'm going to enjoy playing with the band and we're just going to, you know, make some music. Um, but I find myself, you know, now when I am sitting down to practice, I'm really working on relaxing. That's, that's my main thing, Mm -hmm. you know, is really working on that relaxed confidence around, um, you know, playing, whatever i'm playing playing time regardless of the of the meter regardless of how technically difficult the stuff is you want to just play it as relaxed as possible right um, and i think okay th- go, oh, ahead. go ahead. no no no, no. Was, go ahead i was going i was going to say that um, when i go back and watch those videos of buddy rich steve gadd billy Cobham, omar etc um i see that relaxation in their playing mm-hmm. you know what i mean i see it and I'm like oh I now I get it now I get it this is this is the ultimate this is the thing I'm I'm striving for is this idea of sitting down to the drums and playing and it, and it feels just as natural as you're sitting down to eat a plate of food you know what i mean right. th- that's exactly what it should feel like you sure. just sit down and you know and, th- and and just start you know and it's it's it should be as natural as that
0: right no agenda no you know yeah right and i for sure there's one thing that you said that stuck out to me about the about you were saying before about playing melodically And I think a lot of times as drummers, we are we sort of get in this space. I know that I've been guilty of this too, where you're sort of playing time and you're like music, music, music. And then you're like, okay, fill, Mm -hmm. non-musical, just Mm -hmm. like I have to fill up this space. Okay, let me get back to playing music again. (laughs) But I think that if you can get in the space of where it's like music, 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 okay, I'm doing this fill because the music is warranting Mm -hmm. a fill here. Mm-hmm. And I need to make that melodic as well. Exactly. Maybe that'll keep me loose. Maybe that'll keep me from rushing because most people f- rush when they, when they, especially like switching between subdivisions.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, sure. it's a
0: common thing. But I think I like what you're saying. Of well, let's, if you're just playing music the whole time mm-hmm. and you're relaxed and you're playing melodically, you're not mm-hmm. thinking, okay, I'm I'm changing subdivision. It's just like the music yeah. is just going to dictate what I'm playing.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I think that, you know, just follow, follow the melody. And I know that that's it's so hard, man. It's hard. It's hard to do. It's very hard to do. And and, and when you, when you hear drummers who can really do mm. it, the most musical guys who can really do it, it's amazing what they can, especially in the context of like a live, um, live improvisation, sure. you know? Um, and so I point to guys like Brian Blade. I point to guys like, uh, Mark Juliana. I point mm. to guys like Eric Harland, um, guys who can, who are, who play in the most melodic ways. Um, sure. Kendrick Scott is great at mm-hmm. this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I point to other guys like Chris Dave, who is also great, but he's, he's totally different. Right. You know what I mean? His, with the fills that he's going to add are coming from sort of, he, there's, there's a lot of abstraction in the way Chris plays. Oh yeah. Totally. It's, it's really incredible. I mean, I the, some of the ideas, his, his ideas seem to come out of left field, but they make a lot of musical sense and mm-hmm. he, he, he can like really navigate a lot of terrain because he's completely open on the drums, you know? Right. Right. And uh, I feel like the guy can play anything he wants to play. Um, and he's one of those guys that you watch and you say, okay, so he's just going to pivot to the left and play something completely out of left field. And it might sound jarring and it might sound strange and it might be really abstract, but he's going to bring you back. To he's definitely going to bring you back to right. where you were. Sure. There's a there's a path there, you know. Right. Um, but I think in, in, I think he is following. I think he's thinking melodically, or or you know, in in a linear way. Right. Um, you know, that's 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 really my 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 end game as a drummer is to think melodically. Of course,
0: yeah. So I'll put this question on you because I get this question a lot mm. of okay i know that i'm supposed to be serving the music i know that i'm supposed to be playing melodically i know that i'm mm-hmm. supposed to be playing what the music is dictating mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. what happens if i'm not hearing that right like, what happens if like how do I, I you know like i get this all the time like nick how do i know what i i, I don't know what the music is telling me or where yeah. it's telling me to go yeah yeah and it's yeah. like uh, such an intangible
1: oh boy it is man it is i you know yeah, that's the that's the lifelong question, man. It's like what 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 do you play when you don't know what to play? Right. Like, that's the thing.
0: You're like, I think or or if you think that like what you're playing is really happening, then somebody yes. comes up to you and you're like, Man, that's it's not happening. Yeah, it's not happening. Right. Yeah, right, right. I, I've I mean, had that before.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny, man. I was um you know, I played I got the I, I got really lucky, man, I got to play with Betty Carter um, right. before she passed away. Right. And
0: um, she's sort of like a rite of passage for a lot of people, too.
1: She really is, man. She she is. She had she has become sort of her own music school. She was her own music school. So right. many great musicians. And she's uh, really rough on drummers. Right. Yes. From absolutely. What I heard. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you know, I played with Betty um, on and off for the last, you know, three years of her life. I did you know a few gigs with her here and there. Ralph Peterson was her was her main guy. And mm-hmm. Eric Harlan was also doing the gig, too. Um, but, but, you know, one of the things that I, one of my stories I remember, uh, speaking of someone walking up to you on a gig. So we're, we're, we're at the blue note, we played a week there and we're playing a ballad. We're playing every time we say goodbye, super, super slow. Betty played ballads super slow Mm -hmm. and she's stretching the form and it's like, you know, we're just floating through it. And I'm playing brushes and I'm playing, you know, all this like colorful stuff. And I think I sound really great. And so in the middle of the A section, Betty, you know, off mic, she comes up to me. She says, it's too noisy to me. Right. And I freeze. Like, what do you do when, you know, it's too noisy. So what she was saying to me was I was too busy behind her with the brushes. I was playing way too much stuff. I was cluttering the music. I was cluttering the, the time. What makes Betty's thing work is the openness in the space. You know, right. that, that's what made her thing work. So immediately, I okay, so I freeze and I don't play anything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so now I, I went from playing too much noise to making no sound at all. Right. So um, <laughs> Bruce Flowers, who was the pianist in the band, um, he just kind of looked over at me and he, he gave me this smile because she was hard on piano players too. She oh, was really she... hard on piano players, yeah. Um, but so so I ended up kind of, sort of, you know, kind of ramping back in, and I'm I'm playing a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. We got to the end of the tune, and uh, after the gig, she says, you know, listen, um, you have to stay out of my way. That was what she said. She have you have to stay out of the way of the music. That was the thing. Don't clutter the music. Don't clutter it. That was the thing she said to me. You know, it's just too much clutter, mm-hmm. and and you know. It was, I have I have over the years had a few other experiences with that. You know, there might have been a time when Dave Holland said to me, hey, man, give me a little more space on the symbol. Or Chris would say, you know, we're going to play Chris Potter would say, you know, hey, man, we're going to play smaller here. So we're going to build to this big thing later. So give me a little less here. Generally, man, generally the rule is when in doubt, lay out. That's the thing. When you're when you're feeling that that you know, what am I doing when you're not sure what you're doing? I think, I think that's when it's time to listen. That's really when it's time to listen to the Mm. band. So you're playing time, right? You're let's say you're in a situation where you're playing, you're in a solo section and someone's playing, you know, like this extended thing and you're, you're finding yourself, okay, either you're playing all of your stuff all the time, or you're finding yourself really not having any ideas. You're finding yourself, you know, I, I always revert revert to this idea of like, okay, make it a conversation. So Chris plays a phrase to me. I'm not going to interact with him. I don't feel like I need to um, comment on everything he plays. Right, like but chasing I'm, his
0: tail sort of. I don't
1: of. have to chase him. No, I don't have to chase him. I don't have to like interact because that's going to crowd him too. Right. What I might do is maybe he'll play something, you know, at the beginning of the form he'll play some kind of rhythmic idea and maybe a few bars later, maybe 12 bars later, 16 bars later, I might bring that idea back, you know, mm. so that we get back into that, you know, we, we that it feels more like a conversation than um, two guys kind of battling or, or guys kind of cluttering up the music, mm-hmm. you know? Um, it's a, it's a very, there's a, it's a very mysterious process, man. Like there's no, there are no hard rules around it, but I do think that overall when you're playing, if you really want to play musically You have to think in terms of conversation rather than, um, you know, like talking over each other or or playing over each other. You know, I think there has to be that musical conversation there. And, um, you know, I I think about the guys again. I I think about guys past and present who were really great at that. I think about Elvin. I think about, um, you know, Elvin was one of the more musical drummers (laughs) who ever lived and he was really good at just, like, he could play, and and he, the time never slowed down, it never got soggy, it never got tired, right. but the ideas, the way he played the drums, his sound, his feel, it was always fresh, right. because I, I feel like he played with patience, you know, I feel like he played with a lot of patience. Um,
0: patience is hard, man.
1: Patience is hard, that patience is hard, and it's so something hard. you work on your entire career as a musician, man, it's, it's, it's really difficult, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. When you don't know what you're doing, it's time to listen. I love that. I'm gonna, I think. I think so. I, think I, that's, I agree with you. I yeah. totally yeah. agree. One hundred percent, man. This session is brought to you by DW Drums and DW has been supporting this podcast for quite a long time and I'm very appreciative of it. They support this podcast and a ton of other drumming initiatives all over the world and have been since the 70s. So do me a favor, head over to DWDrums.com and learn more about their great, great products. I'm super excited to announce that Musicians Institute is now the official education sponsor of Drummer's Resource. And for those of you who don't know about MI, it's located in the heart of Hollywood. It's been there since 1977, and they have world-class faculty, guys like Kenny Aronoff and Gordon Campbell. They have a modern environment with recording studios and MIDI labs and hundreds of drums set up on campus. And then they also have a world-renowned curriculum and much much more and you can expect to see a lot more great things from MI through Drummer's Resource and I'm super excited that they are now the official education partners of Drummer's Resource. You can learn more about them at MusiciansInstitute.com. Have you heard about the new Promark Active Grip technology? This is a coating that's on the drumsticks that gets tackier as your hands heat up so they won't slip out of your hands so you don't have to use Gorilla Knot or any sort of tape or anything like that. Really great technology by the good folks at Promark. You can learn more about that and their signature sticks from Rich Redman and Matt Halpern and Mike Portnoy. Learn all about that at Promark.com. Now let's get back into it with the one and only Nate Smith. I want to talk a little bit uh, career wise Mm -hmm. and sort of touch base on sort of how you grew your career, uh, sort of what things like. I I heard a great analogy, Nate Smith or Nate Smith, uh, um, Nate Morton, who was on here from Mm -hmm. place for the voice said, you know, success in the music business or with anything is sort of like building a bridge, but you're or walking across a bridge that you're building as you're
1: exactly (laughs) it's true it's true and that is a very good that's a very good metaphor and uh
0: and i thought it was great but i i love to hear sort of how because a lot of people you moved you know you move from virginia you go to new york and a lot of people move into different towns or they're they're saying what's the i actually just got an email about it uh two days ago Mm -hmm. asking hey is it is it really that's the way to build your career just go out to like open mic nights and meet people and things like Mm -hmm. that so i'd love to hear your approach of sort of how how you grew your career to where mm. it is now. Mm.
1: Well, my career, um, it, it's, it's just a, you're right about building a well Nate is right about building a bridge as you're crossing it. Because, um, y, y, the other thing is you really don't know when you're building the bridge. You know, you have, you really don't know what, 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 who, who's going to come along. That's going to actually be a part of the bridge you're building. Right. Uh, so you just kind of have to be open to, you know, as many different things, as many different people as you um as you can, especially if you're a young musician, um, I think it's it's really important to say yes more than you say no. Um, you know what I mean? I think it's if, if you are a young guy and you're like, let's say you're 22, 21, just out of school, and you're like, okay, I really want to play music. So people are coming up to you. These people might come up to you with some brain cross-eyed ideas about man i will have this gig you know it pays 50 dollars for four hours but we're playing at such and such and if you really like the music if you really like what these guys are doing say yes to it because you just never know right um so for me it was um you know i was playing all through high school i was playing in jazz bands like citywide jazz band i was also playing in um the wind, like the wind symphony, there was a, a wind ensemble called Tidewater Winds, which was led by this guy named Sidney Berg, who was um, you know, really kind of a big wig in the Norfolk classical music scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and playing with Sidney Berg, he was you a know, super hard conductor, really tough on me. But playing with him, he wrote my letter of recommendation for school. You know what I mean? And he saw potential in me. So he was part of the reason that I got accepted to James Madison, you know? Mm. And so, you know, again, you just never know when you're building the bridge. You know, you, you never know what relationships are actually working to help you build the bridge. So, you know, I started JMU the first summer after JMU. I uh, work at King's Dominion, which is uh, just outside of Richmond. It's a, an amusement park. Music park, right? Yeah, Yeah. Paramount's King's Dominion. I worked there summer of 1993 and the summer of 1994. Um, While I'm there, um, I meet um, the second summer. I meet really good friend, Brad, who's become this guy, Brad Sharp. And he meets his woman who, who becomes his wife, Keisha Sharp. Keisha Sharp is a famous actress. She's doing really great things now. And you just never know where those relationships will take you. You know, if you keep in touch with people, if you're cool you just, like I said, you never know when you're building the bridge. So just kind of stay open and stay cool, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but from that, from the 1994 thing, um, from King's dominion, I go back to school and, um, I meet some guys who are at JMU who did the Disney Grammy band in, in Epcot at Epcot. And they say, Hey man, you should definitely audition for the Disney Grammy band. You know, you should send in a tape and you should do your thing and just, you know, just 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 do it you know you never know right so i do it and i get it i get the gig i get the disney grammy uh it's it's called the disney grammy all american college jazz band it's a mouthful but it was like you know (laughs) kids from all over the country we come and we play we have guest artists every week and we're sight reading every week which was incredible you know what i mean Mm -hmm. what a learning what a thing And, and you know diane reeves came and Ramsey Lewis came, Joe Williams came, Arturo Sandoval came. So we're playing with really great guests, you know, and I'm meeting all these people. So it's it's amazing. So in that uh at Disney, I meet a young trombonist named Andre Hayward. and Andre had just done Betty Carter Jazz ahead. And he says, Hey man, you should audition for Betty Carter, right? So I said, Great. So I I sent in the tape, and she we I the small group from JMU, we go to IAJE the next year, which I don't even think IAJE exists anymore. But um, we go to IAJE the next January. We're in Atlanta. Betty sees me play and she says, hey, I want you to do jazz ahead. So my, my point is, it's all connected. Right. You know, sure. like you just never know who you're going to meet that's going to lead to um, building a career. And and so, you know, from there, it's, it's, uh, it's Betty Carter and then it's uh, VCU. You know, and I do a grad program there and I meet Dave Holland there, you know. So by the time I moved to New York, um, I had had a lot of good fortune in terms of meeting musicians who could help me to build a career and who could who saw something in me that they liked, you know. Right. Um, so I, I feel like I, you know, by staying open and by doing as many things as I could and by being focused on it, I. Um, You know, there's there's an old saying. You know, I think it was uh, this movie producer Samuel Goodwin. He used to say, "The harder I work, the luckier I get." Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think it's a great quote. You know, I think, and it's like, man, it's true. You know, and it's like, the harder I worked as a kid, the harder, the more I said yes to, the luckier I got. You know, and and uh, you know, Dave. Meeting Dave, I met Chris Potter through Dave it's all connected. You know, it's all all connected. I met Adam Rogers through Chris Potter, you know, there's, there's all this stuff. Um, so anyway, man, I, you know, I just, in in terms of how I built a career, um, it certainly wasn't an, like a step-by-step intentional plan, but I always was like, okay, here are the things I want to do. And I need to stay open to every opportunity that comes my way that could help me to build those things that I want. Um, So that, that's, you know, that's my advice to anybody, you know, like younger guys who are listening or whatever. It's like, stay open, be cool, be patient, you know, like just kind of, and just say yes, as much as you can, you know?
0: Yeah. It's funny that you say that about, about how, you know, you don't know where this thing is going to lead. I mean, 15 years ago or 16 years ago, I got this scholarship from Peisty. Mm -hmm. my point of contact uh, actually who I just texted I have a call with at one o'clock but mm-hmm. uh, or around there uh, mm-hmm. but so 13 15 years ago this guy's my point of contact I stay in touch with him mm-hmm. and five years ago he introduces me to a guy who's running a drumstick company I start helping this guy with this drumstick company right now he and I are best friends right and like I'm help you know like advising on this drumstick company with him and this is a relationship that, that someone introduced me to 15 years ago
1: right and right. it's like you never know it, you never know you have you no know. idea you have no idea man you have no idea and and also it, it works both ways your name travels further than you you will yeah you know your name travels much further than you ever will so it you know is if you're cool and kind to people and you're you know kind of gracious and you, you do the best you can as you' you're, you're working that travels man that that kind of reputation travels and it you know there are a lot of really great musicians who sit at home because they don't they can't really the the interpersonal thing is not really together you know right and you know 90 percent of the time that you're on tour with musicians with other musicians it, you know you're only going to spend 90 percent of that time is spent off stage right so you it's spent at the airport at the hotel at the restaurant you know so you have to be a functional person sure <laughs> to, to, to get along with cats while you're you know, on the band so so you know, it, it, it's to your benefit to, to, you know, just stay open and be cool to people and, and you just never know what's down the pike. Man. I think you a lot of know.
0: people get anxious, too, when they go to meet people mm-hmm. or, you know, go to network with people and they're like, I don't sure. know what to say or I don't yeah. know what to do or I don't yeah. know what to what to offer them or, you know, and it's, yeah. and I've even been in that situation. Like you're at Nam and you meet like one of your heroes. That's and right. You're like, man, I, I just want to meet. him. I want to meet. And then you meet him. You're like, hi. And then yeah. you don't know what else to exactly.
1: say. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, it's happened. I mean, it's happened to me. You know, I, I remember, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember meeting Chick Korea once at, uh, at IAJE, And it was just, I, you know, I totally geeked out. Didn't have anything to say to him. Same thing. The first time I met Herbie, which was m- many years later. You know, it's like, oh, my God. You know, and, and you know, I've, I've had a chance to meet a few um, great drummers, you know, but a lot of the guys that I've met have been sort of in my age group. You know, Like right. I, I met Keith recently, Keith Carlock recently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's a little easier to approach a guy like that because, you know, he, he's amazing, but he's also kind of in a, in a sort of a peer kind of kind of. Range, right? Know,
0: age sure. range,
1: sure. Um, but you know, I don't know what I would say if I met, you know, if, if James Gadson walked in. You know, I don't know what I'd say if I in the drum shop, and all of a sudden, you know, I don't know Bernard Purdy walks in. What do you say? You know, what, I mean? what do <laughs> you, you what do you do?
0: I am going to tell you a funny James Gadson story, real quick. okay. So okay. I had him on the podcast, yeah, and he was amazing, yeah. And I told him that I was going to come out. I was like, I am coming out to L A. and uh and I said, I am going to come visit you, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, Oh yeah, definitely, right. So, I'm in LA for like a day. Yeah. And my phone rings. I didn't know who it was, and I answered. And he goes, Nick, (laughs) James Gadsden.
1: Okay.
0: And I'm like, Oh my god, this James Gadsden. And he goes, You've been in LA for 24 hours. My phone hasn't rung yet. (laughs) And I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, I didn't. And like, but he's so sweet that he's just like, he's like, All right, well. Call me back whenever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's great. But that's like, great.
0: so ch- it's like, man, yeah. you're, yeah, you're James Gadsden. You're he's as in, cool that, as you are just,
1: on the record. That's right. He's, he's the man, man. He's, he's the man for so, my money. So count nice the hardest groove, like in, 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 in uh, I say, you know, top five all time. Oh you know, yeah. For me. Definitely. Yeah. Hands
0: definitely. down, man. Hands he's, down. He is, uh, he is definitely one of my favorites. Absolutely. Yes, and just like sure. the nicest dude in the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know,
0: like, For sure. so like some of the stories he has are crazy. That like, he would go out on tour and like, he didn't have cymbals. You know, man. he's like, I was like, why? He's like, I didn't know I needed cymbals. <laughs> like he was, he started and like, within a year was like one of the top call Motown musicians. Yeah, sure, it's insane. Sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely man. insane. I mean, he just has a feel that can't. You know, there's only. Five guys on the planet who can do what
0: he does, right? You know, so, right, so. it's it's amazing. Yep. Um, yep. So let's talk about your record. So yep. you have a new record coming out.
1: It's meant tomorrow. Well, it's I, com, coming out tomorrow. Tomorrow, February third, baby. Awesome.
0: Yeah. So this will be this interview will come out. Uh, so the 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 record is now released. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay. So,
0: Great. Okay. Uh, it'll be out in two weeks. So awesome. So yep. it is uh, postcards from everywhere. It's actually on dope Records. Who it is. I know Lewis from Ropeadope. Okay. Um. He so Ropadope had a record, has records, and then the the clothing side of yes, things. Yes, absolutely. And their office was in my hometown, so got to, absolutely, got to Louis absolutely.
1: Lewis so. Ro- is a great guy, man. Stand up, dude.
0: Definitely is definitely. Yeah. So tell us about the record, man. I'm excited about it.
1: Oh man, I- I'm stoked too. Um, it uh, it is sort of uh, this intersection of R and B and jazz musically. It is uh, kind of like a, 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 a distillation of like the soundtrack of my. You know, childhood. Sure. You know the the records my dad used to play, um, and it's definitely coming out of that thing. But it's also presented through my own eyes, having been somebody who's been in New York now for fifteen years and has sort of discovered this musical family that I'm presenting on the record. So the, the family is like a big idea around the the record or go or go the title kinfolk. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just really wanted to kind of tell a story about, okay, here's where I'm from and here's where I am. And here's kind of the stuff that has happened along the way with the music. Um, and yeah, I, I find myself really giddy about um, sharing it, man, because I really think that it kind of sums up the last, uh, you know, decade or so of, of my path as a my journey as a musician. Right. Um, I, I, uh, was lucky to get um the band that i have on the record jaleel shaw's on it chris bowers plays on the record jeremy most great guitarist that not a lot of people know about but he's really fantastic um fema efron who i've played with for a long time with Mm -hmm. chris potter and dave holland chris potter and uh adam rogers who's also on the record adam appears on the record and then um i have a great uh singer and songwriter and lyricist named Amo what who wrote all the lyrics that feature vo- the, for the songs that feature vocals. Oh, cool! Yeah. She's, she's fantastic. She's from Brooklyn. Um, Gretchen parlato sings one of those songs that she, that Amo wrote. And, um, and, uh, then, you know, have a couple of guest appearances. Leonel Luecke is on the record. Um, Dave Holland appears on a couple of tracks on the record. Nice. Um, and Chris Potter appears on, on a track on the record too. And so I feel like it's a really complete, um, Portrait of of where I am now, or, yeah. or at the very at the very least, where I was when I started the project. You know, I really wanted to say something about family and this idea of identity, and and you know, it's all in in the project. Um, so man, yeah, I'm stoked. I I, I we've got a big um, got a show uh at New Blue February third. I'm sure that's gonna already have happened by the time we air by the time this airs, but um, I'm I'm stoked about it.
0: Uh, so that oh yeah, that's tomorrow then. Yeah. Um, so it's weird talking about tomorrow, but when yeah. the people are listening to it, it's not going to be tomorrow.
1: But right, be tomorrow. Right,
0: right. So, uh, so now if anybody, whoever's listening, you can go, you can get it on iTunes. Yes. Um, you can go to natesmithmusic.com. All the info is on there as well. That's right. That's right. And I'm going to order it now because I have a flight tomorrow. So oh, excellent. I'm going to, uh, listen to it on the flight.
1: Excellent brother. So, excellent. Dig yeah, in. And I'll also, um, that. it's, it's available on Bandcamp as well. Okay. And, um, you know, uh, given what Bandcamp is doing um, in terms of their their, their political stance, I, I encourage people to, to to download from Bandcamp if they can. Um,
0: okay. I'll get it from and, there. Can I pre-order yeah. from there or just order it tomorrow morning maybe?
1: You can order. You know, I think it's going to go live at midnight tonight. Um, I think it's going to go live at like 12.01 tonight at Bandcamp. But okay. I, I have to double check that. But you can pre-order it on iTunes
0: as well. Right. You but can. I'll just get it on Bandcamp tonight.
1: Yeah because Bandcamp I think the other thing with Bandcamp is that you get the artwork too and you get like the full, it's it's a, full experience a, and, and like you get different uh, I think you get a higher resolution audio download too. Okay. Um, it's such it, a yeah. it's
0: such a lost art man of like yeah, buying yeah. a record and like going through the liner notes and I like,
1: know. I know. It's sad. Yeah, we we will be releasing this on vinyl as well. So that's um, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm that'll about. that'll happen a little later in the year. Awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I also, I want to encourage people to follow you on social media, especially mm. on Instagram. Like your yeah. Instagram's blowing up and you're always, you're always, I think, I feel like the internet has been really good for you.
1: It has. It has. You I, know, and, I, and I, yeah, it has, man. Go ahead, go ahead.
0: Uh, no, I was just going to like, cause before, like, I guess, you know, even like five, six years ago, I couldn't mm-hmm. find a lot of stuff online mm-hmm. from you. And now mm-hmm. like you have your Instagram page, you have like 20 some thousand followers on there okay. and like, yeah. you're putting videos up and. That's right. It's I just I don't know I just love being able to scroll through and checking out some of the stuff that you're doing and then yeah. wa- you know watching those little clips that you put up and playing and it's, yeah
1: it's great yeah it's cool it's cool I got I got to shout out my man Jose James um he he really is the uh, sort of the the game changer for me in terms of my social media um, exposure and the reach because you know when I was playing with him all last year every night that we played he would film my drum solos. He would, he would tape the drum solos on his phone and mm. he would put, post them up. And he started the series called The Legendary, right? And so it was like The Legendary Part One. And so it started in March and all the every gig he would do a drum solo. He'd put one up and i played play a drum solo. He'd, he'd record it. And so we're up to like The Legendary 37 now. Nice. But but it started with his page and him posting these drum solos and his followers started to share the 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 solos and they started to it started to sort of viralize man. Some of those videos, it's it's amazing. The view counts, man. Like they're in the millions. You know. Wow. It's it's incredible. So um needless to say my Facebook fan page started to tick up. I'm at seventy thousand now on my Facebook page. I'm at twenty two thousand on Instagram. And it's it's all happened in the space of a year. And um it, it really is something. And, 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 you know, so I'm really grateful for people who love the videos and who share them. And I just feel really, really grateful to, to, to witness it.
0: Right. Know? And as an outsider, I look at it as it's great because you can, one, you can keep an eye on the stuff that you're doing, right. but also you get like a little bit of, you know, inspiration watching you play or like yeah. checking out some of the clips. So as an outsider, I really dig it, man. I'm glad. Absolutely, you're doing.
1: man. Absolutely, man. And I'm, I'm going to keep doing it and I'm hopefully going to be, be doing some, um, sort of uh, like higher quality drum videos soon, like like really sort of like cinematic uh, nice. looking drum videos. Yeah, that's that's in the plan for, for this year. I dig it. Yeah.
0: I yeah. dig it, man. So for anyone listening, they can go to natesmithmusic.com. That's right. Find out all the info. Also in the show notes of the podcast, I'll put all the links of where you can find Nate's music, yeah. all of his Instagram or all of his social media channels and and all of that stuff and uh Nate I just want to I want to thank you publicly for one for being a part of this two for the music that you're putting out into the world and uh it was it's been a long time coming to have you on the podcast and I really do appreciate it and as I said man I'm a big fan of of your work you're playing and uh, it's, it's a real honor to have you
1: man thank you so much Nick thank you so much man I really appreciate your patience I really appreciate your persistence I know no it was a long time coming it was well I'm, worth I'm, the wait my it friend. it was well worth it well worth it brother I really appreciate you thank you
0: man absolutely man and for everybody out there go pick up the new record please. this actually worked out perfectly that, you, that yeah. your, the new record came out so yeah. everybody go pick up that new record and Nate anytime you want to come back man I would love to have you
1: absolutely man thank
0: you Nick alright Nate thank you I'll talk to you soon okay We'll mm-hmm. There you have it, the one and only Nate Smith. I hope you dug that. Like I said, a long time coming to get him on the show. Really excited that he took the time to chat with me today. And pick up a copy of his new record, Postcards from Everywhere. You can buy it at Bandcamp. You can buy it on iTunes. And go to natesmithmusic.com to learn more about that record. Also, if you want links to everything that we talk about, as well as how you can connect with Nate, head over to drummersresource.com forward slash session 245. And once again, if you dig this podcast, if you get value from it, please considering, please considering, please consider (laughs) supporting it. I don't edit here. So, Uh, Please consider supporting it. Head over to drummersresource.com forward slash support, and you can pledge a dollar a month, $2, $3, $5, $10 a month, as much as you can swing, but I do hope that if you get a ton of value out of this, you'll consider one of the higher price points. Also, there are some great gifts that go along with that as well, and you can be part of the board, and we have a call every month where you hop on there and let me know your ideas, or you get t-shirts and advanced listening of the podcast and all that stuff, which Justin and I are still trying to work out the details of that, so that'll be happening soon. And again, if you get value, please consider supporting drummersresource.com forward slash support. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.